Welcome to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Impact features interviews with gifted Bible teachers who will help you gain a greater understanding of Scripture so that it has a greater impact on your life. The host of Impact is Mark Jenstead, the Staff Minister for Nurture at St. Andrew. Hi, everyone. I love this verse I came across last week in Jude. This is Jude 2. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. All of those blessings come from God, and they come to us through his powerful word. We are going to look into that word today and see if our suffering is because of our sin. Our guest is Pastor John Billets from the chapel in downtown Madison. We'll talk to Pastor Billets after this prayer. Dear Lord, as we open our Bibles today, open our hearts to believe your word and better understand you and your will for our lives. All this to your glory, now and forever. Amen. So folks, if you are here for the first time, I'd like to welcome you to this podcast ministry. I hope you return. And those of you that have returned, it's good to be with you again today as we study God's word and go for this greater understanding of Scripture. And to help us today, my guest is Pastor John Billets from the chapel in downtown Madison. Welcome back. Thank you, Mark. Always a pleasure to be here. It's like a ghost town around here. <laughs> it is. Those first few weeks after the students go home for the summer are always a little uh, shocking because from going from many people around and lots of activity to pretty quiet, is uh, it's, it's a stark, stark change. This is, uh, this is my uh, one of two trips to downtown Madison today, Pastor. All right. I'm coming back tonight. Yes. Uh, my wife and kids, and we're going to go see The Lion King. Excellent. At the Overture Center. Have you done that? We, I have seen The Lion King just a few days ago, actually, and uh, enjoyed it very much. So All right. I'm praying that you get the same enjoyment with your family. Yeah, my wife and I, we've seen it twice. Kids have not yet seen it, so it'll be a special treat for them. Uh, look forward to it. Later on tonight, the Overture Center. I've never been there. Nice. It's a, uh, I don't know if typical is the right word, but a, uh, a typical um, concert hall venue, a little bigger than maybe where you would go to a show in New York City because they have things where they seat a lot more people. But from what I've heard, most of the Lion King shows have sold out here in Madison for the three weeks that they're here. So you'll have a f- pretty full crowd at the Overture Center tonight. All right, very good. Uh, John chapter 9 today with yes. Pastor Billets. Uh, let's, let's take a look at what we can learn from this uh, section of Scripture. So folks, if you have a chance, uh, please open up your Bibles to John chapter 9. You can follow right along as we go through many of these verses. Otherwise, please take time to uh, read through this chapter and uh, see what the Lord has to teach us in John chapter 9. So here's verse 1, and this is Jesus as he went along, as, as John records this, as he went along is referring to Jesus. He saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And that's the first real question we'll uh, look at today with Pastor Billets. This understanding in Bible times is still understanding uh, among Christians today that uh, 
They wonder if, if because something happens in their lives, some trouble comes in their, in, into their lives, if, if that's because of some sin and, and God is, is, is punishing them or, or in some way what they are experiencing is because of sin. But we'll get to that in a little bit. First, I want to ask this question uh, based on uh, the first verse. They call Jesus rabbi. Can you help us with that word? Why do, they call, why do the disciples call Jesus rabbi? There, there, you can find a lot written about where the word rabbi, uh, what, what it actually entails. But in, in effect, it's a Hebrew word that simply means my teacher. And so it's a title of respect or honor. They recognize Jesus as someone who had authority from God to teach uh, the scriptures, to teach them about God and his love for them. Uh, it, it, it later became more of a part of the synagogue where a rabbi would be uh, maybe even part of a school, a rabbinical school. But at this time, it simply means my teacher. It doesn't link Jesus with any specific synagogue or any specific teaching. He's just being respected by his disciples. And that's, that's essentially what a disciple is, right? They're following someone who is their teacher and Correct. learning from him. Correct. So John gives us kind of an inside look at, at what a day in the life of Jesus was like, right? I mean, he, yes. he, he literally would walk around and, and do ministry for the sake of his disciples because he was always teaching them. He was. That's a very good, good thought. Okay, so here's the, here's the first big question today, Pastor. So as, as I read in verse 1, the disciples are assuming, as, as some people do today, that the reason for almost every ailment people suffer is because they have been, they're being punished by God for a sin, so that's the question the disciples asked Jesus. Is there support for that in the Bible? If, if we read through the Bible, through the Old Testament stories, and, and even into the New Testament, there are times that, that there are consequences for sin. There are direct results of people's sin. And so I think it's hard to avoid the possibility that a sin could cause some trouble in a person's life. And I think the disciples' real struggle with this is that was a given to them. If something bad happened to someone, the teaching of the day, it was a given that that bad thing must have been the result of a sin. What made this one specially unique is that this man was born blind. And so then the question is, well, he didn't have a chance. He didn't have a chance to commit a sin. So Jesus, tell us, is it, is it this man's sin or the sin of his parents that caused him to be born blind? Uh, they weren't even allowing for the possibility that there was something else that could be a factor in why a person was blind. And I think that's, when you really dig into scripture, that, that's a question that has been asked for centuries. As you said, it's still something today. Uh, our church fathers would call that our opinion of the law. If you want the Latin, it's opinio legis. Our opinion of the law is this idea that we're going to be punished when we're bad and rewarded when we're good. And if you don't think that's a part of your life, just think of how many times when something's gone wrong, you've asked the question, why? Why is this happening, right? It's our natural response. There must be some reason. I think of Job. Go all the way back to the story of Job, right? His friends could not, friends, if you want to put that in quotation marks, but they could not wrestle with or come to grips with why Job could be suffering so much unless he had committed a terrible sin. And they just kept telling him, Job, you have to just admit what you've done. You have to repent, right? And, and Job couldn't think of anything that would merit that kind of suffering, that kind of punishment from God. And so that, that, that age-old question is, well, how do I come to grips with my own suffering? When something's going on in my life that isn't pleasant, that's painful, 
And I love Romans chapter 8, and I know we're not covering Romans chapter 8 today, but the very first verse of Romans chapter 8 simply says this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God does not sit up in heaven, wait for you, Mark, and me, John, to sin, and then concoct something to send into our lives so that he can get even with us. Because the punishment for your sin and my sin was already suffered by Jesus. On the cross, when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he yelled, it is finished, that's our guarantee that the punishment for sin is gone. So now I have to think, well, does God have a purpose in the suffering that he's allowing in my life? And I know we're going to get into that in the rest of the chapter, so I won't steal too much of that when Jesus says, well, there's a reason behind all of this. But that's true in our lives, too. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that God disciplines those he loves, and no discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, it produces the harvest of righteousness. And then later in Romans 8, we have this beautiful promise from God that in all things, he works for the good of those who love him. I try hard, Mark. I'm not good at it. I wish I was much better at it. But when something unpleasant or painful comes into my life, instead of asking the question, why, I try to switch that around and say, What's God trying to teach me? What's God trying to accomplish? What good uh, might God have in this suffering? And I think that's how you turn around that thought that God's somehow getting even with us to how is this serving for my eternal good? Well, there's a lot in there I want to ask about. (laughs) That's a great answer. That was a long answer. I'm sorry. (laughs) You gave us some really good stuff to think about. You brought up Job. So in my personal Bible study, that's the book I'm in right now, and, and I'm up to chapter 3. So I've got a long ways to go in those 42 chapters, especially at my pace. It'll, it'll probably be about the end of August when I'm done. Nice. The disciples knew the story of Job, and, and that, that's what I wonder about. They, they knew that book very, very well. I presume they did. And the conclusion that we get from the book of Job is that that is not why Job suffered. It was not because of some terrible sin in his life, the conclusion is he just suffered, right? I mean, from God's perspective, right, right. It, there wasn't an answer why. It was the Lord's answer to Job was just just trust me, Job. Right. Where were you when I laid the world's foundations? Right? Don't try I, to figure me I out. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and, and how deeply the disciples knew that, you know, I, I think it's the same today. I know the story of Job. And it doesn't stop me from thinking things that, that don't square with the, the message of the story of Job. And, and, and I think pain and trouble in this life has a way of clouding our eyes from seeing the good that God wants, us, uh, God wants to bring out of even the troubles that we have. It's easy to forget God's promises, particularly in painful times, but that's why it makes it so important to go back to his word in those painful times and say, well, what does God promise, even in the midst of my suffering? And you said that God is not up in heaven saying, I'm going to get John Billets back. I'm going to get even with him. But yet, is it fair to say that when suffering comes into our lives, that there is purpose in it? And one of those purposes is God is trying to get our attention in some way to get our attention back on him. Absolutely. To refocus us, uh, if you want to take that picture from Hebrews 12 of discipline, I think of disciplining my own children as they were growing up. And at one point in in uh, our children's upbringing, we lived on a very busy street to the point that we actually had a gate that came across our driveway. And our entire fence, our entire yard was fenced in. But there were occasions where that 
gate was left open when someone drove out of the driveway. And if the, the children were in the yard and began running toward the street, I, I might actually inflict a little pain on them, not because I wanted to hurt them, but because something far worse was waiting for them if they kept running into that street. So to leave an impression on them to say, wait a minute, you can't go out there because there's danger out there. Uh, that's, that's God's discipline for us too. There, there's danger in wandering away from me. There's danger in living life according to your own terms. And, and certainly God brings consequences to sin. He uses suffering to keep us close to him for sure. Here's a thought that I've shared with people when they ask this type of question, like the disciples. Uh, who was it that sinned that this man was born blind? Isn't it true the reality is if, if that is how God operated, if that everyone who had some great sin in their lives were born blind, we would all be blind. Yeah, or something else, right? At, at the very least, there would be some sort of ailment that all of us would deal with for life because there is no one who can stand before God innocent. I, I think of David saying, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I have two sinful parents. My wife and I became parents of sinful children because of our own sinful nature. And yeah, if God, if God operated that way, we would all be in, in a world of hurt. Well, Jesus gives a very clear answer to his disciples. The first word he says is neither. Right? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Help us understand what he gives as the reason for the man's blindness. Here's verse 3. So Jesus' response, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So again, going to that thought of this isn't a punishment directly for the young man, but that God is actually going to use it, first of all, for his own glory. And we'll see that before the end of the chapter but then really for the purpose of this man, too. And it becomes apparent that once again, and John's gospel is masterful at this, if you think of Nicodemus in chapter 3 and the Samaritan woman at the well in chapter 4, and now you have another individual, one person, that Jesus ministers to. Sure, it has an impact on a lot more people, but he is interested in this one man's soul. And that's what's going to come out in the end, right? The confession of faith. The man was blind from birth, Pastor. How is it? How is that true? How is that true of people who can see? And isn't that being blind from birth? Yep. And Jesus uses that metaphor running through the whole chapter: uh, physical sight versus spiritual sight is what we're talking about, right? And and while this man was physically born blind. Because, as King David said, we're sinful at birth, sinful from the time of conception. We are all born spiritually blind, uh, unable to see the blessings that Jesus has in store for us. It's only when the Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel and enlightens us with his gifts, opens our eyes to see the blessings uh, of, that Jesus has for us through faith in him. Amazing grace, right? Amazing I was blind, grace. but now yeah, I see. Right. And that's also at the end of uh, the parable of the lost son. I'm pretty sure I have that right. Could be. I, I'm not remembering that off the top of my head, but it, it would make sense. And, and, and it doesn't Jesus use it the same way here? Uh, and, and I know we might get into this in the next verse, but the idea of Jesus being the light of the world, right? That he just got done saying that in chapter 8, and it kicked off a, a long discussion with uh, the Pharisees and those who were jealous of Jesus to hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world. Uh, and, and now Jesus is demonstrating that kind of light, if you want to equate 
blindness with dark uh, and, and faith with light. That's what Jesus is going to do throughout the chapter. I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it now. I'm, I'm going to look this up right now as we're, as we're talking here. So this is uh, the parable of the lost son. If I recall, that is Luke 15. It is. Uh, see if you can beat me. I'm on, on my phone here, Luke 15, towards the end of the chapter, when the father is talking to his older son who didn't like the big deal that dad was making about the returning son, I, I thought he said that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, dead and alive, lost and found, but the same concept. The same concept applies. Oh, I see. He was dead, but now is alive. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, same concept. Right. He was blind, but now he can see. Okay, let's, let's talk about that verse you already alluded to uh, about light. Let me read this verse. This is verse four. Night is coming. This is Jesus talking. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what is Jesus telling us here and how does this fit into his healing of the blind man? And, and the idea of time being short or not being able to work at night, Think of how limited our sight is at night, right? That's what Jesus is saying. There's a time coming when people won't be able to see anymore. And so now is the time, Jesus is saying, now is the time to, to get to work. Now is the time to make sure that people's eyes are open from a spiritual standpoint, to open people's eyes through the proclamation of the gospel. And the way Jesus healed the man was unique. Sometimes, in fact, I think most often Jesus doesn't do something physically, but here he does. Here's the verse. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So here's a tough question, Pastor. Why do you think Jesus was more hands-on with this healing compared to other times when a healing would simply happen at his command? Don't we wish the Bible would always answer those questions for us? Yeah. I can think of the, there's another miracle in Mark 8 where Jesus simply uses saliva for someone who can't see. And, and I don't, the Bible doesn't answer it for us. So what I'm about to say is speculation that I've probably been taught over the years or other people have mentioned to me or just have come into my own brain. Uh, but I think it fits in here with the necessity of making sure somebody knew who, made, who did the miracle. Right, So the fact that Jesus gave the instructions, that Jesus made the mud, that Jesus put it on his eyes, that Jesus told him to wash in the, the, the pool of Siloam, there's no doubt who healed this man. Uh, and, and whether that's the reason or not, um, I'm not sure, but it, it makes it, we would, we would expect, I think, if someone would say to me uh, that I had a physical ailment and, and here's how you're going to make it better, I would kind of expect a two or three step process, right? And, and Jesus lets the man go through that, even though he could have snapped his fingers and restored his sight uh, to make sure that he knew that this healing uh, was from, from Jesus himself. Great answer, Pastor. <laughs> we'll take that. So the next section here uh, of my NIV Bible is titled, The Pharisees Investigate the Healing. Why can't they just rejoice and be glad? And a man who suffered for decades was healed, and they want to go investigate the healing. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, and then I think, you know, how petty uh, even even God's people can be today, even, even I can be sometimes today. And, and and if you read chapter 8, and I alluded to it before, but chapter 8 is a chapter where we really see the jealousy of the Pharisees building. They're supposed to be the religious leaders, but who are people following? They're following Jesus. 
And Jesus points, to, points out to them in, in chapter 8 that they're ready to kill him. That's how far it's gotten already by John chapter 8. And, and now they see Jesus do this miracle that they really want to deny but are having trouble denying. And they can't even rejoice that the man was healed. They, they, all they can see is, is the jealousy that they have of Jesus. And, and then he is somehow an imposter or somebody who shouldn't be teaching the people because that was supposed to be their job. Um, but yeah, it is a good reminder to us too, right? Uh, we tend to to want other people's gifts from time to time, and instead of being happy for them, we can often be jealous of the success that other people have wanting that for ourselves instead of saying, that's a blessing from God, and I should rejoice that that person has those kind of successes or, or, or uh, positive things happen in their live, lives. So next, Jesus leaves the scene. And the Pharisees bring the man in for questioning. And what stands out to me is that the Pharisees brought the man's parents in for questioning. And they basically said, ask our son. And then John records the reason for this was their fear of the Jewish authorities. The parents didn't really want to come right out and say anything that might get them in trouble with the Jewish authorities. So here's, a, an, a, I think, an application question here, Pastor. Should we be willing to face persecution as we witness for Christ? I think all of us would love to answer that question. No, we should try to avoid persecution at all costs, but didn't Jesus say the exact opposite? If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. And one of the things that I know that I've enjoyed in the lifetime that God has given me here in the United States of America is that I have had very little persecution for my faith, very little resistance, anyone standing in the way or trying to uh, say something against the preaching of the gospel, and what a blessing that is. But I think in our current age, uh, and, and if you watch the news and do different, <laughs> do different uh, social media outlets, you can see there's an anger building toward Jesus and his word. And I don't know what that means in terms of persecution for our church, but it shouldn't surprise us. And it shouldn't stop us from proclaiming the truth because it's ultimately, ultimately the truth of the gospel of Jesus that's going to open people's eyes. And there might be persecution coming, and I don't know what form it's going to take. Maybe many of the listeners have already experienced some of it in their lives. But I, it, it's not something we should be surprised by and something, yes, that the message of Jesus is more important than, than my physical comfort in this life. That joy of perfection is coming in heaven. I want to take the questioning here in a different direction for a moment. Um, the Bible says, Jesus says, do not judge. And I think, Pastor, there are so many examples in Scripture. Examples isn't the right word. There's so many instances in Scripture where, where we might be prone to judge someone. And here's one of those. This is what I mean. So the parents, this is what John records about the parents. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So that's what they did. We don't want to judge them from this standpoint. We might do the very same thing. We have done the very same thing when we have failed to stand up for Jesus. And isn't that exactly precisely what Jesus means when he says, do not judge? Yes, the, the idea of, of not judging is, is always the idea to make myself feel uh, better. If you think of Matthew 7, where Jesus said that, the very next verse is, 
don't try to take the speck of sawdust out of your brother's eye before you take the plank out of your own eye. And the idea behind judging is if, I, if I'm doing it to say, look how much better I am than that person, oftentimes what means is I'm ignoring my own shortcomings. And the whole purpose of, of, of any kind of judgment is, is always with one goal in mind, and that is to get people to see that there's forgiveness for their sins in Jesus. And rather than me saying, boy, that was terrible what those parents did, it's an opportunity that hopefully through this whole situation with their son, they got to see the grace of Jesus. They got to see that something was more important than, uh, than any, anything that this world had to offer. Okay, let's go back into the text. So the Pharisees brought the man in a second time, and they used a very interesting phrase on him. They're trying to get at the truth, and they tell the man to give glory to God. What does that phrase mean in this context? I suppose it's a, a, a mini oath almost, like tell the truth. You are responsible for telling the truth. Don't lie to us. And really what they're saying, if you read between the lines, is give us the answer that we want. Don't, don't give us this, these answers that we don't want, that the man who healed you is Jesus and uh, that, that somehow he's, uh, he, he couldn't possibly have done that because it happened on a Sabbath day. Uh, and so the give glory to God is... You tell us the answer that we want or else. I want to read that whole verse in the context and then ask about the second part of the verse. So this is verse 24. A second time, they, that's the Pharisees, they summoned the man who had been blind and they said, give glory to God by telling the truth, or as you said, by telling us what we want to hear. And then they said, we know this man, they're talking about Jesus, we know this man is a sinner. Well, that's utter nonsense to say that we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. What sin did they think he committed? In this context, the sin they thought Jesus had committed was uh, healing on the Sabbath day. And, and many of your listeners might know that uh, the Pharisees were very— uh, I, I think of it this way. I would have wanted Pharisees for my neighbors. They might be the type of people that had a cup of sugar at your door before you even knew you needed it. Uh, because they were so in tune to all of the things that they were supposed to do in order to please God, to the point that they even added things to what God's law actually said. And at, especially when it came to the Sabbath day, there were things that the, the Pharisees and the, and the teachings of, of the Pharisees had required people to not do on the Sabbath day. And so the fact that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day, this is the Pharisees following what would we would call the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. Um, it's hard to imagine that, that making some mud and putting it on somebody's eyes was what God intended when he asked people to rest on, on the seventh day, uh, and especially because Jesus performed a miracle. But that's the, in the context, that's the sin that they're saying. He, how could he heal on the Sabbath day? If he's truly from God, he wouldn't have done that because it's the Sabbath day. In Jesus, we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. That's our assurance that, that Jesus is the perfect perfect person, the perfect substitute for our sins. He's the one who came not just to die for our sins, but to live for us too. His active obedience means that, yes, we, we can rest assured that, that everything necessary to save us was done by Jesus. Yeah, I find some great encouragement here, and, and I think this is what happens to Christians in the world today. We do the right thing according to God's word, and the world will say, we're wrong. Yeah. I mean, here Jesus is doing the right thing, of course, and the world calls him a sinner. Yeah, no, that's a very good, a, a very good application. Um, and and I wish I had a 
I wish I had more of Jesus in me, <laughs> and I think all of us could say that, but Jesus knew how to balance it perfectly. He knew how to balance the truth with being loving and wanting to, and, and just longing for people to know him as Savior, to know the truth. And there are times that, that I think it's hard for, for me, and, I, and I, I'm guessing your, your listeners can relate to this too, to look at people who are not doing the right things, who seem to be successful, and then we try to do what God wants us to do and find criticism and uh, people who get upset with us. And, and it feels like we should just throw our hands up in the air and say, why, why is this happening, God? And, and then we come back to Jesus and say, but if people can get the message about Jesus, whatever I have to go through is worth it. Yeah, you'll find that concept all over the Psalms, that's right. for sure. Oh, so here's the reply of the man. I love this reply. I'm in verse 25. So after they say, we know this man is a sinner, the blind man says, whether, it's talking about Jesus, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. What a great witness, right? And 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 I think that, I hope I haven't done this. I, I hope that this is not something that is is normal in, in Christianity, that, that we think that we need to have all of the answers, that every uh, I has to be dotted, every T has to be crossed before I can talk to somebody about Jesus. Because notice the witness of the man. He just said what he knew. Uh, I, I can't answer that question for you. I don't know if he was a sinner, but I know I can see, and I was blind. And, and I think about that for our answer to people who want to know about Jesus. Uh, I can't answer all your questions. I can't define every biblical word that you've ever heard. I can't answer all of the questions that you might have about Scripture, but here's what I know. I have a Savior who died on the cross for me. I have a Savior who rose from the dead to guarantee my forgiveness, and that's what I know. And maybe that's enough sometimes to just leave it at that and dig into the answers for the other things that people might want to know later. That's like witnessing 101, <laughs> yes. right? Tell the people what you know. Yeah. Tell them what you know about Jesus. Don't worry about what you don't know and what we can't know. It, it almost reminds me of uh, the answer that uh, that that. Philip gave uh, when he was called to Nathaniel, come and see, come and see you, right? That, that's what we want. Just come and see what Jesus has done. Come and see why it makes a difference in, in our lives. Jumping ahead to verse 34, eventually, because the man, the blind man, the, the man who was blind does not turn on Jesus, the Pharisees throw him out. That's verse 34. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. So that's their conclusion. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. What's the full meaning of that? Yeah, so the same, the same concept that we saw the disciples bring up to Jesus in chapter 9 is being repeated here by the Pharisees. And the concept is that, well, you obviously were born blind, so something you're a terrible sinner. And that's what they conclude. And then when they don't, give, they don't get the answer that they're looking for, the putting him out or throwing him out is literally out of the synagogue. I'm certain that that meant from a physical standpoint, they wanted him gone. But really, from a spiritual standpoint, too, this is the the Jewish version, the Jewish synagogue version of what we would call excommunication, right? Put out of the fellowship. That was the same threat that was made to the parents, too, right? So here you have uh, here you have this this young man who now has to face rejection from the spiritual blessings that he thought would have been his through connection to the synagogue. Final section here. I'm going to read verses 35 through 39 and then ask Pastor Billets to explain, especially verse 39, and you'll hear it now in context. So Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, Jesus said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? 
Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. So there's another of scripture's many paradoxes. Can you help us understand what Jesus is saying there? And again, this this runs through the whole chapter, the uh, concepts of light and darkness, where Jesus is the light of the world and and the blind are in darkness, but they see through Jesus. And so this is a spiritual paradox in, in the sense that all of us are born blind. All of us need our eyes opened by the faith that the Holy Spirit alone can bring. And then once those eyes are open, now we see. We see Jesus clearly as, as he is. In the case of the Pharisees, and I know we're going to get to this in just a second, but they thought they could see. They thought they had it all figured out. And Jesus actually tells them, because you don't see me as the Savior, you're actually blind, even though you can see. So it's a, a play on the, the physical. The, the man was born blind, and now he could see from a spiritual standpoint as well as a physical standpoint. But from a spiritual standpoint, only, only faith in Jesus allows us to see him clearly. That reminds me of what Jesus says to the Pharisees when he called Matthew in Matthew 9, when yeah. he's talking about it's the, it's the sick that need a doctor, not those who are healthy, referring to the Pharisees who thought they were healthy. Correct. Same, same, same thought, right? And, and the Pharisees get it. They're not happy with Jesus after he says that. And in verses 40 and 41, they make very clear that they understand that Jesus is kind of getting a little dig at them. I want to read verse 41. Jesus said, and this is uh, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And Professor Brug calls this a cryptic statement, meaning unclear, ambiguous, hard to figure out. What do you make of it? And I understand exactly what Professor Brug is saying. And um, if we were going to compare ourselves on an IQ scale there there would be <laughs> don't go there there would be a large difference um, but but really I mean ultimately I think it's just it comes down to this the, the Pharisees uh, had had betrayed their own blindness they demonstrated their own blindness by rejecting Jesus uh, that that's what Jesus is saying whether the Pharisees all understood that is exactly what he was saying or not I, I think they did because they're going to just get closer and closer to their plot to eliminate Jesus, their plot to kill him. Uh, their thought that they didn't need Jesus really made them blind. Uh, they, their thought that they could, their own righteousness could save them is what clouded their sight from, from seeing spiritually uh, in, a, in a clear manner. All right, Pastor, let's, let's close where we began. Uh, we're at the end of here of chapter 9. The blind man is likely in heaven. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Verse 38, the man said, Lord, I believe, and then he worshiped him. What does that say about the reason for his blindness? Going all the way back to the start of the chapter where where Jesus actually said that this is for the kingdom, the glory of God, that all of this happened. Uh, What you have in the man is is a, a physical blindness that turned into spiritual sight. And, and what, a, what a beautiful thing and, and how God allows those opportunities to happen. Um, this was not just, not just faith for that man, but, but for us to read 2,000 years later to read, well, here's what makes me spiritually able to see it. It's the grace of God through Jesus, our Savior. So yeah, there was faith for the man, but, but then glory for Jesus as the healer and glory for the one who brings us physical sight. 
Very good, Pastor. Thanks for uh, taking us through uh, John chapter 9. I'm going to tell one more yeah, quick story, do. if that's okay. As you asked that last question, uh, it, it just brought to mind something that recently happened in my ministry. And I think a lot of pastors could tell you stories like this, maybe others as well, how God provides opportunities for people. So what happens if Jesus doesn't come across this young man? What happens if Jesus doesn't have a chance to heal him and then use the, the, the healing, the miracle, to the greater bring the greater miracle of, of seeing uh, Jesus clearly as his Savior? I had an opportunity to minister, and being in Madison, this happens quite a bit, where people outside of Madison will call the, the pastor who's downtown Madison to visit somebody for them at the hospital. Uh, and I went to visit a young man uh, who, in his late 30s, who was diagnosed unexpectedly with stage 4 uh, liver cancer. And as I was visiting with him, you can probably imagine lots of things came out about, you know, the same questions we asked here. Why? Why would this happen to someone who is healthy and, and had his whole life in front of him yet? And, and then some of the guilt came out, as, as sometimes those things have a way of doing. And, and one of the things the young man said to me was that he had had intentions every year of making that the year that he was going to get back into worship and make sure that his faith was a priority. And in the end, he and I came to grips with the idea that his cancer was actually good because God made him realize what was important. God put this obstacle in his path as awful as it was. And as awful as it is, he put an obstacle in his path to bring him back to Jesus. And ministering to him the few times I had a chance to visit him, uh, I asked him the same question Jesus asked the young man here, this, this man who was born blind. Do you believe that Jesus is your savior? And he said unequivocally that yes, he did. And I thought, if he doesn't get the cancer, what happens in his life? Does he just keep going uh, the way that he was going? Or, or, or what? And I, and I can't answer those questions, but to see how God brought him back to the fold days before he took him home to heaven, uh, that, that is a, an amazing thing. That we, we think those things are terrible when they happen in this life, and they are awful to go through. But if in the end God uses it to bring people spiritual sight, to be able to see their Savior, then it's all worth it to be in heaven with him forever. To God be the glory. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that story, Pastor. And uh, what a reunion that will be in heaven. Yes. The man you ministered to and this man here in John chapter 9. So thank you, Pastor. I hope to have you back again sometime soon. It's always a pleasure, Mark. Thank you so much for all you do. And thank you for listening today. I invite your feedback. You will hear our email address in a moment. I also invite you back. Lots of good stuff coming up this summer on Impact from some returning guests and a new one or two. For now, we'll close with this thought. God's peace is yours in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to Impact, a ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. If you have a question or feedback to share, send an email to impact at saint-andrew-online.org. Please tell your friends and family about Impact and keep this ministry in your prayers. Impact is new every Monday and all past episodes are available. The greater you understand scripture, the greater impact it will have on your life.